unleash the most powerful Pixel ever on the network chosen by Google, Verizon. Pixel 3 has more than just any camera. It takes group selfies, snaps, and portrait mode and helps you always pick the perfect moment with Top Shot, which automatically recommends the best pics where no one is blinking and everything looks just right. And the Pixel 3 also has the power of Google Lens, which means you can search what you see. And when you get the Pixel 3 on Verizon, it comes with America's best network. Visit your local Verizon store today or learn more at po.st slash the ringer. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Kevin O'Connor and we are the Corner 3. Joining me here in Los Angeles is Ringer Associate Editor Danny Chow. Hello. And from Dallas, Texas, it's Ringer Staff Writer John Sharks. I just got back from yoga, so I'm ready to go. Got some takes ready for you boys. There we go. There we go. You went to the yoga man, John. I'm liking it. Absolutely. Um, Today's podcast is produced by Bobby Wagner and recording this at 2 p.m. on Thursday. So we're not going to be able to react to Thursday night's games. That's all right, though. We have a really good show planned today for you. Starting off, we're going to talk about the trend that's been changing the game of basketball this season. The only thing anyone has been able to talk about. Really? Pace. Danny, the league this season is posting its fastest pace since the 1985-86 season. Three-point rate is at an all-time high, and we're seeing scores in the 130s and 140s. What are the contributing factors to this change? Yeah, I, I just think there's this general desire from the league, from the top down, to basically make the game a lot faster, whether that's been small adjustments like the 14-second clock reset after an offensive rebound or this point of emphasis that the refs have really been hammering down on, which is the freedom of movement. So basically, they're going to be a lot more stringent on calls on grabbing or holding of any of that sort. So it's kind of like... There, there are almost these parallels to the changes going on in the NFL with how they're protecting quarterbacks, you know, other than the inherent violence of football. It's just not in basketball. <laughs> but I, I, I Thank feel God like... God for Trey Young. <laughs> Yeah, right? I I mean, I feel like these teams have just kind of come to this collective realization that pace is the trick. Pace has been on the rise every year since the 2011-12 season when it was at 91.3, according to Basketball Reference. So pace has risen from 91.3 to where it's at now, around 101, about as quickly as it dropped from the mid-80s to the early 90s. Charks, what's your sense of this changing style of play early this season. Is this something you expect to continue over the course of the year? Or is it going to be something that's going to continue to increase? How do you see this evolving over the course of the season? Yeah, I don't think it'll go down much at all. I'm not sure if it'll get any faster, but you combine the pace the number three teams are taking. It seems like everybody wants to play at the Rockets these days, just jacking up as many threes as possible. Teams have been trending this way anyway. More teams want to play with more ball movement. They want to play out and more in transition, get more corner threes in transition. And so that's the way it's going. It's more of an analytics-driven evolution, isn't it, Sharks? Yeah, I, so I was at a couple of Mavs games, and I asked Carlisle, uh, Tibbs, and Fred Hoiberg, and they were all like, yeah, analytics are saying take these shots. I mean, Carlisle even like shout out Haralabob in his press conference. So <laughs> it's a new it's a new day in the NBA, man. I miss Haralabob on Twitter. Yeah, he's making he's oh, in Dallas. I'm making bucks. I mean, he still tweets here and there, but you know the basketball. Yeah, tweets the snark. Aren't there as much. Also, yeah. you got to reel the takes back when you're an NBA or Cran Bay front office. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I'm sure the coaching snark has kind of gone down too. Yes, oh, so. no doubt about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, there's just a lot more reading and react re- reacting. You know, the set plays aren't quite as pervasive as they might have been in the past. So it's a lot of like a lot more fouls and a lot more of the defense is just kind of scrambling to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I talked with Dante Cunningham um, 
after a game earlier this week, the Lakers Spurs game. And, you know, because I felt like in that first half, despite a lot of points being scored, um, and like it ended up both teams scored over 140 <laughs> after it went to overtime. Um, but I felt like early in the game, the Spurs defense did a pretty solid job of containing LeBron. They had two, three guys in the paint sometimes because the Lakers didn't have enough threatening shooters. And, you know, I asked Cunningham about, you know, the changing rules and, you know, I said, like, it felt like you did a good job in that first half. It's like, yeah, but I followed out. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's true. You did, but you still did a pretty good job. But the falling out kind of says it all in a way. And he was like, yeah, you know, I learned a lot from a guy like Tony Allen, someone who was a very aggressive defender who would, you know, and hold guys, steer guys, push guys. Full up in their airspace. Yes. Th- those it, days have come and gone. Exactly, Charks. And, and what he said is like, I want, and he said to me, I wonder if those guys, those types of defenders, you know, Maybe they're not going to be the same anymore. They're the ones more than anybody else that's going to have to adapt to this new way of defending in the league. And, and in a way, I'm enjoying watching these high-scoring games, but I also kind of miss like those Tony Allen type of defenders. There's definitely a point where it's like, oh, well, the axiom was always styles make fights. And we're kind of moving towards this idea that everyone has to play the same way in order to keep up. And so, you know, it's easy to kind of begrudge the fact that there's kind of this monoculture in the NBA kind of developing. (laughs) But at the same time, like, we got that amazing Warriors-Jazz game last Friday because the Jazz, along with the rest of the league, were just like, you know, it's probably not a bad idea to put Joe Ingles in as much space as possible. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, too, like, everyone's shooting threes, but there's still some variety within that, right? For sure. Like, the way the Nuggets play versus the way the Rockets play is pretty different. And with the way the Bucks play as well, they have yeah. pretty much an equal shot distribution to the Rockets from restricted area and three-point range, and they barely shoot any mid-range jumpers, but they get their shots a whole lot differently. With Houston, it's pick and roll, pick and roll, isolation, isolation with Harden and Paul. And with Milwaukee, it's like pick and roll here, isolation there, post up, side-to-side ball movement. They're running essentially the typical Budenholzer, Spurs-esque offense just with Giannis Antetokounmpo and a lot of post-ups. And, and, and I'm playing in more space. It's just like, it's just kind of exponentially it's already there and not changing it that. I mean, I don't know. Charks, is it, is it more so, is it really driven by the player types? Is it driven by the, the roster build, um, the lineups that are being used more so than maybe the systems? I think it's all of the above. Like I had an article last year about um, Trey and Luca, And I was like, if you look at, these are the kids who grew up watching Steph Curry play. And like all of a sudden, these things are more possible in their minds. Like, hey, man, maybe I can just shoot 10 threes a game. Whereas kids 20 years ago never even tried that. When you have players like that, you let them do what they do. We've been talking about this as an analytically driven phenomenon. I kind of think of it as something even broader than that. Like we're looking at a game in which there are very defined physical parameters. And when you look at that, the court is 94 feet by 50 feet. And it's filled with 10 very large human beings who are basically in a race against time. And so anytime that, you know, the object of the game is to maximize the usage of time, it will involve things getting quicker. And the same kind of goes with maximizing the potential of space. Like, if you are in limited quarters, the whole objective of basically ergonomics is to create as much space as possible. And so we're not really looking at small ball. We're not really looking at skill ball. It's just like basic ergonomics. It's geometry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, to quote Joe Rogan. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Always a great t- idea. T- um, 
Uh, he said something along the lines of like, I feel too stupid to understand that. <laughs> Ergo, so ergo, ergonomics <laughs> is the basically the the study of of making things more efficient, just in general in everyday application. And so that's that's basketball now. Yeah, <laughs> sounds not great. more efficient word, not more efficient words, but definitely more efficient. Basketball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm too stupid for this. That was the Joe Rogan quote. I'm too stupid for this. No, but you know, to your point, Danny, <laughs> in all in all seriousness, it is more than analytics. It's bigger than that. And, uh, you know, I tweeted the other day, I like this. I'm enjoying the scoring. I think it's fun. I, I think it's great seeing teams actually play smart by shooting more threes. You know, we have a ha- handful of teams that are still living in mid-range, but I like seeing this style. It's fun to me. Um, and I like the variety where you have the Bucks, you have Denver, you know, you have Houston. You have the Grizzlies. Lot, you have the Grizzlies. Like <laughs> who the, are not scoring yeah, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> Dallas, you're shooting a lot of threes. Like all these different styles. And... I like it a lot. The game's more beautiful than ever. But, you know, when I tweeted that, a lot of people were like, no, this is bad. You know, defense oh, Kevin, is great. People on Twitter just hate all the time. Well, Whatever's happened, they're going to hate on it. That's just the reality. Wait, do we all enjoy this? Do all three of us it. enjoy this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, this is this is fun. But but none, the thing none, is, none of us dislike this. Can I mean, bloggers. There are going to be games, and w- I saw this personally because I challenged myself to watch some of these Grizzlies games in which they're scoring some of the lowest scores that we've seen this season. Where, you know, the Grizzlies are doing very modern things, you know, taking 40% of their shots from three, except they're converting 27% of them. (laughs) And so, you know, a lot of these games are going to come down to this new style of a rock fight where it's not really defense. It's just neither team can make their shots. Okay, sure. So that just to, I guess, I don't feel this way, but to represent that perspective. Right. Some people see this and they don't care that the three-pointer is worth more than two. Like that, well, if, because, you shoot, yeah. that you sh- if you shoot 25% from three... The raw right? percentages say that this is a poor shot because yes. it's probably not going to go in. Exactly. It's like shooting 30% from three is equal to shooting 45% from two. Some people just like to see shots go in. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's worth more or not. So like if you're seeing teams just jack up three after three after three and they're only hitting a third of them, to some people, that's a less appealing-looking game. And, and, and I can see that point. I think, though, the thing is, we're getting these fools out of the league really fast. Like these guys <laughs> who can't shoot threes, they won't be here much longer. Yeah, sure. You know, But you're still going to have players that can't shoot threes well, and they're going to have to play because their defense is so good. Or they're Maybe it's center. That's about, that's about it. Yeah, but Other still, than that, though, mm, Even then, you still have an Andre Robertson. Yeah, but I don't even play him at center. Maybe even a Jonathan, Jonathan Williams. We saw him come in for the Lakers. I'm talking like an end of a I'm bench saying player. At, at center, maybe. Other hmm. than that, though, it's just not going to cut it anymore. So, in other words, you think these guys are going to fade away? Guys who can't shoot, they're going to fade away, and then it's going to come to the point where maybe three-point rate continues to rise even more. Right now, this season, as of Thursday, 34.9%, nearly 35% of shots okay, have so been attempted I had a, from three. I had an exec tell me something that was like, dang. He said he thinks probably eventually most teams in the league will be at 45% shots from three. Like That's probably coming in like the next five years. So he thinks, this executive thinks that every team will be shooting over 40% of their shots from three. Yeah, he thinks realist. He said probably the upper range will be 55%. That is, like, that is nuts. Isn't that crazy? What's his reasoning? I'm curious. I mean, I don't know if you, how deep you went into the conversation. I'm just I curious. I mean, just like, like, I mean, threes are more than twos. Like, three things. Threes are more than twos. The more threes you shoot, the more room to attack the rim you have. And then number three, like all these young players coming into the league are good at these shots. Like, you're not going to draft Trey Young and be like, dude, get to the lane. Don't shoot threes. That'd be pointless. Oh, I mean, right now, so just to give some perspective, at the start of the season, Houston, Dallas, and Milwaukee are the only three teams shooting more than 40% of their shots from three. You have 10 teams that are shooting below 30% 
of their shots from three. Yeah, I feel like it's cooling a team like Golden State. Right? Well, they, they don't shoot sustain. very many threes, they actually. They that's, they're actually interesting. Shooting, they're shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers this year, actually, especially Kevin Durant. Uh, Which is a trend that's continued from last year. Yes, exactly. I mean, Katie has always shot a lot of deep mid-range jumpers, but this year more than usual. So, I mean, I just don't see every team getting to that point. See, I mean, Kevin, I think people are always like, what's the next thing? And I'm saying this thing has just started. Like, we're oh, just is. getting going on this three-point thing. It is going to keep moving forward. It's rising every single year. It is just getting starting. In five years, let's rebrand the big three and turn it into a league in which all of these, you know, misfit toys, all of these <laughs> amazing low-post centers just rebrand themselves as, like, the big league or something. Who's going to watch that, though? Oh, my God. Who, who knows? I, everyone who is apparently complaining about the league now, you know? I just, I, People I look, love to complain. It's going to continue rising. I mean, you look back at the 2010-11 season, it was at 22.2%. And so from then until now, it's risen 13% percentage points. Significant. And every year, the one thing I've noticed is that it jumps in the playoffs. And then wherever it's at in the playoffs tends to be where it's at the following regular season. Like last year in the playoffs. Ah, That's interesting. 35.5% of the shots were from three. This year we're at 34.9%. We'll see where that settles down. Do you got, I mean, if every team starts shooting that way, personally, I I, I wouldn't love that. If every team would jack up a lot of threes. It'd be like, is every team shooting a lot of layups? Like it's just like a feature of basketball. I think there would still be variety within that. You know what I mean? Just just the way the game is played. Sure. Just like, you know, how we mentioned earlier with Milwaukee gets their shots differently than Houston. You know, Dallas plays a different style. Yeah, there will always be variety. I'm I'm waiting for the half court specialist. (laughs) Or the four point line. (laughs) Who knows? See, I wonder about the four point line. That might be a little much for me. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the four-point line. (laughs) Let's move on to the kids are all right. On Wednesday night, Luka Doncic and Trey Young had their battle. The first of many. Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully hopefully first of many. Twice a year. Yeah, twice a year. After their big uh, draft night trade, Luka Doncic and a future pick for Trey Young uh, between the Mavericks and the Hawks. Hawks had a really, really impressive comeback. That was a fun game to watch. I was was about to tune out after the first quarter. I mean, after the first quarter, the the Mavs, Basically lapped them. I right? thought I thought they were going to win by fifty, but yeah, Hawks ended up winning the game one eleven to one hundred four. Trey had a forgettable overall game until his impressive fourth quarter. Luca had a nice game, uh, twenty one points, nine rebounds, two assists. Continued on with his really really impressive season. Charks, you wrote a big feature on Luca this Wednesday. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, totally. Um, I went to the first two games. I kind of got to go to the locker room after and just talk to Luca a little bit talk to some of the other players. Uh, it was pretty interesting. I mean, the Mavs are just all bought in on this new M- this new style of play. They got Luka. They're like, we're shooting as many threes as possible. I'm like, Carlisle's like a full-on... It's crazy. Carlisle used to coach like the Pistons and the Pacers in the early 2000s. And now he's like, man, we're taking 53s a game. Right, yeah. Like, that was one of the biggest takeaways I got from your uh, feature was that Carlisle was the the mastermind behind some of the worst like rock fight type <laughs> teams when in the Casey NBA. Casey was yeah. an assistant coach with those oh, defenses. Yeah. Yeah. And totally. this was like at the nadir of NBA offenses. It was like the worst it's ever been, but defenses were just like grinded out everything. And now he's just like, I can't move against this wave of offense. I'm just going to ride it. Yeah, I mean, when you look at raw numbers, the Mavericks lead the league in three-point attempts per game. There's not frequency, that's just raw attempts. It's fascinating to watch that. They were and that's near, without Dirk Nowitzki, too. Exactly. Yeah, without Dirk, Dirk comes back, who knows how many they're going to take. <laughs> they were near the top of the league last year as well. And in terms of Luka, 
I mean, we, we touched on him a little bit last week, I believe. But he continues to be outstanding. Um, after his first game, after impressing in the preseason, now averaging 19 points, six and a half rebounds, nearly four assists. Luka's doing everything. And that's despite the fact that he's only 19. It's despite the fact that he's not in tip-top conditioning. No, for my sure. man is grabbing his knees a lot. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he definitely is. And yet... I think there's a lot of players who are elite athletes in the league, but there aren't a lot of players that have the elite feel that Luca has, and he has continuously showed that off from game to game, with from situation to situation. Really, Charks, no matter who the defender is, and granted, they face some weak defenses. Yeah. So we'll far. see. On, we'll see tonight. They play the Raptors. It might be a different story <laughs> compared to the Hawks, Bulls, Wolves, and. What do you think the biggest adjustments will have to be for Luca, um, considering the fact he doesn't have the quickest first step, considering the fact that he's certainly is grabbing at his knees. I mean, I think the big thing for him going forward is becoming like a bigger, more of a post player. I like in a couple, like the idea of like eventually running pick and rolls with him and Dennis Smith and just like playing Luca out of the post on smaller guards. I, th- I think that's where he has the advantage is posting up smaller players versus like trying to beat off guys off the dribble. Yeah, and I think a lot of the negatives that people tried to pin on Luca before he was drafted was just, you know, his, his real inability to get past a defender in isolation. Mm-hmm. But that's not really how the Mavericks operate. They they run the second least amount of isolations in the league so far uh, behind the Sixers. And, you know, the Mavs are all about optimizing the amount of space that Doncic has uh, available to him and the rest of the team. When they play the Raptors and Kawhi guards Luka, well, they'll just screen Kawhi up with DeAndre Jordan anyways, right. right? They'll move off that match as much as, much as possible. You mentioned the the fit with Dennis Smith Jr. Charks and how you'd like to see those guys run pick and roll together. Is that one thing the Mavericks haven't done a lot of this year is using Luka as a screener. I mean, he has run a handful of pick and roll, but are you saying you would like to see Dennis Smith screening for Luka or Luka screening for Dennis Smith? Or does it not really matter? I think it's it's like it's so early in both their careers. They're trying to establish the basics right now. Like that might not happen until next season, honestly. Why does it have to wait? I want to see it now. I want it it right now, Charks. I want it now. I'm with they need to develop good habits, you know? Like, that's a part of it. It's like, here's the basic responsibility of your position before they get too creative. I mean, they're, they're both like 20 years old. You know what bothers me? I, I would love to see Luka Doncic. Like, he, I mentioned he's averaging 3.8 assists. That guy already is an unbelievable passer. I want to see a big, high, you know, an opportunity for him to really just handle the ball and run the entire offense. Well, so here's the thing right now with that. The Mavs don't actually have a lot of shooting right now. They take a lot of no, threes. They don't. they don't make that many of them. No, they, so it's hard to get assists with Wesley Matthews taking like 10 threes a game. Yeah, I, I mentioned they're shooting 42.5 three-pointers per game. They're also just shooting only 31.8% on I mean, those are an example of what you're talking about. They're just jacking threes and missing them. <laughs> Like 25th and three-point percentage first in attempts. But you know what? That's better than jacking up a lot of mid-range jumpers. It's, For sure. It's true. But, I mean, how much more can we take of Wes Matthews? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we have a we jump in the like, press room. And we're like, if he dribbles, is the ball going to go in? It's like, probably not. One of the things with Luca, and I'm not saying this is a concern. I think he's going to be fine. He's going to be great. But he does take a lot of tough shots. A lot, lot, yeah, of, sure. lot of those tough makes he has are tough shots. And it's been against no question about that. some poor defenders. And this, to me, is going to be the really interesting thing to track for him over the course of this whole season and you know into next year, his whole career. His career yeah. how, how, how does he develop over time in terms of making his first step even quicker, getting an optimal condition? How does that evolve for him? Is he going to be a type of guy who always has to make tough shots? Or is he going to get to a point where suddenly he's able to create more open looks for him besides that step back to his left, which is suddenly quickly becoming like a patented shot for him. Signature move, yeah. It is. And it looks great. And it's fairly effective. 
at least for a 19-year-old. Uh, I think you're fine with the results. Um, I'm curious to see how that happens for him. And if not, it's okay because he doesn't need to be necessarily your go-to scoring presence because, like I mentioned earlier, this guy's already an unbelievable passer. I just We haven't seen the opportunity for him to do that. Do you think that there's a chance that happens this year, Charks, or no, because of the way the roster is constructed and the fact he's only 19? We'll see when Barnes and Dirk get back because this team might look pretty different. Barnes was their top scorer the last two years, and Dirk obviously changes. I mean, if you put Luka with Dirk in the pick and roll, he'll get a lot more space to operate, probably. Those guys coming back is going to make that team look totally different. Whereas for the Hawks and Trey Young, he is already getting virtually all of the opportunity. He is, is, is John Collins back yet for the Hawks? Not yet. No. Uh, That'll be big for them. Tra- yeah, definitely giving Trey another pick and roll uh, rolling option. And Collins also could be spotting it from three a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, he definitely showed the interest in taking mm-hmm. shots from that range last year. He it's sometimes that all it's all it takes. Yeah. Andre Drummond has a lot of interest in shooting threes, and he is <laughs> shooting them. He's just not making them. It's okay, Collins though. interest in a lot of field goal attempts. He's yeah, and at the that. same time, I think Collins was shooting them, albeit you know at only like yeah. a three a game. He was still shooting it's it at like thirty six, thirty seven percent. So and another target Let's for Trey who. Another another target for Trey, who I think has been really outstanding this year as a playmaker. Um, it's very rare you see a point guard come in at his age with his experience level and change pace like he does and create off the dribble like he does. And like he doesn't have the best teammates, but he's creating quality looks for him. On, on his 30 assists this season, 20 of them have gone to shots in the restricted area. 10 have been for three-pointers. It's an analytically driven assist from Trey yeah. Young. Yeah, Kevin, I was, I was going to ask you, like, how many guys can shoot pull-up threes better than Trey already? in the league not a lot that's a fun yeah. question not a lot not a lot I mean he still shot I believe someone at cleaning the glass did an article about Trey's shooting off the dribble from NBA range I think it was like he shot like maybe 27% on off the dribble threes from NBA range which isn't great but it's still was that better. last year in college last year in college mm-hmm. that's yeah, still yeah. better than a lot of guys right. in the NBA and that that's where like look Trey Trey is always going to have a role in the league because of his playmaking, which has been underrated and overlooked, I think, by a lot of fans who just saw the big scoring numbers. But his playmaking, to me, is his best skill. The scoring, as that develops, Charks, over time, I think, we've seen both sides of that. We saw the 35-point outing against Cleveland. We saw him struggle uh, last night against the yeah, Dallas Mavericks. he'll be Mavericks. up and down for sure. He's going to be. And, and Danny, that's going to be part of it this season with Trey, it, where I think we need to be patient with his offensive development. Yeah, and even... The game against the Mavs was a positive sign because even when his shot wasn't falling, the dude got to the line nine times in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Like he finds ways, and especially because the Hawks have, like the Mavs, built their entire team around trying to get this guy in as much space as possible. Absolutely. You know, the spacing Atlanta playing is playing with helps Trey Young. I think the way the game is being played helps oh, for Trey. Sure. And, for you know, sure. One of the things I wrote about in my article for today on the ringer um, about Trey is that I think he's gotten better at getting to the basket and actually finishing at the mm-hmm. basket. One of the things at Oklahoma, he didn't have a lot of creative finishes, and that's something Steph Curry over time has just mastered. mastered. He became an elite finisher, you know, off-balance finishes, leaning his hip into the defender to finish with his left hand finishing off the wrong foot. Trey's doing a little bit more of that now than he did in college. And like he had a great lefty finish last night. Yeah, I, and it helps to play in more space too. Absolutely. I mean, OU wouldn't have very many offensive talents besides Trey. So they, they, it's one-man team. I think they had a lot of talents for like rec league, not, not, Ooh, not even overseas. Wow. No, I mean, I'm not. I don't, <laughs> I, I'm just saying like they didn't have like- Shout out Lon prof- Kruger. They didn't have like prof- a lot of professional talent on yeah. the team. No, not I, a lot of NBA players, yeah. One of the things that applies to both Luca and Trey Young is these guys stink on defense right now. Both of them. For sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Both of them. 
just reality. Like Trey Young last night getting posted up by Dennis Smith, getting into fall trouble. Luka Doncic just moving him with ease. And then Luka, eh, not too good on defense so far this year either. No. Uh, moving forward for Trey, defense is always going to be problematic because he's small. He's six foot flat without shoes, um, short wingspan, tiny frame, about the same size as like a Darren Collison, Kemba Walker. Defense is an issue for a lot of small point guards. And for him, I think for the Hawks, if they ever become a contender, that's always going to be the question. Where do you hide Trey Young? And for Luka, can he get to the point? Have you seen signs, charts? Have you seen any signs from Luka Doncic that he can become a plus defender or at least a non-negative defender where he's not getting picked on possession after possession? Um, I seen him stand in the locker room, so that's a sign. Like his size, he hasn't done anything yet in the NBA, but I think the size eventually should translate. But it won't happen for a you while. You know, th- there was that play in the preseason where he showed really good, you know, weak side timing, caught a caught a nice block, uh, down in the paint. I thought his instincts, uh, in the Euroleague were fine. It's just a matter of kind of getting himself in the right shape and getting himself in the right, you know mental attitude. I mean, he's not afraid to mix it up for sure. Right. No, no, no good physical. No doubt. And I think that's that's where with Luka Doncic's pre-drafts, you know, I wasn't too worried about it. He's First of all, he's a great rebounder. So I think he's going to be able to help end possessions for you by rebounding the ball and then going coast to coast, turning defense into offense. But he also competes, like you said. He's not afraid to mix it up. You know, he's willing to switch and battle through screens. I, I don't think effort is going to ever be an issue for him. He's the type of guy who is probably going to be willing. Well, once to, he gets into shape, at least. Once he gets yeah. into shape, you know. One thing I wanted to note, if you go and click on Charks's feature on Luka, uh, there's wonderful art by our art director, David Shoemaker. Shout out to Shoemaker. But a Matt fan. And, and Matt, shout out to Matt James. If well. you look yeah. at his, uh, if you look at the art, the uh, the profile image of of his face it is probably the worst possible image we could have chosen because he looks so, so chubby in it. Like, his <laughs> cheeks are, like, swollen, and it's just like, okay. Oh, yeah. All right. I just hope He it. looks pretty fat. <laughs> ah, yeah, his mouth is open. And I mean, like, over yeah, the offseason, he was, you know, training in compression shirts and hoodies. He was clearly not ready to show off his beach bod. He still does that in the in mass practice. He's always rocking a hoodie. That, that, that's like pulling me. A, he's pulling a Carmelo. <laughs> that, that's like me back in the day. You know, like, I would just always wear a t-shirt to the pool or something like yeah. that. They don't want to show off the belly. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I never, never want to show that But, off. I mean, a year or two down the line, I think that's when we'll really kind of see if the strength and conditioning program that he's being put through will, you know, pay dividends. And I'm sure we don't need will. Chandler Parsons yep. here. Look, you know, I mean, that's the key. he's going to be doing probably P3 up in Santa Barbara every summer. Uh, he he's going to have professional the past three years. Yes, he's going to have professional training with the Dallas Mavericks, which you hit on Sharks in the article. He's going to be able to maximize his conditioning. I think people can joke all they want about his, you know, his chubbiness right now. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Where he is at 19 isn't going to be where he's at at 25. So over time, Luke is going to be fine. Yeah, Trey, though, there's no way to stretch him out. Can't stretch him out. It's true. Not can't stretch him out. He needs to become a transcendent offensive talent. But the return so far is pretty encouraging for both those guys. Let's move on. I'll throw an outlet pass to this weekend. Some marquee games happening across the league. Lakers-Spurs get an immediate rematch of this exciting, crazy, intense a clash of game. A clash of two of the worst defenses in the league. Yes! yes. That means a lot of points! Yes. From two and different that's saying teams. something in the NBA these days. Yeah. Well, that's uh, really bad defense. The Spurs are the worst team by defensive rating in the league right now. I think they're giving up 122 points per 100 possessions. Yes, and the Lakers are giving up 115 This is going to be great. Possessions Which, if you look at there. the personnel, it's not a surprise for both right. teams. It really isn't. Which made last season's Spurs defense so 
unbelievable. A miracle. And when I say unbelievable, I mean, yes, like a miracle. Like, how <laughs> how makes you appreciate DeJounte Murray when it does? Yeah. Yeah, that, that would have made the Spurs a heck of a lot more interesting this year. The Spurs last season gave up 104 points per one. Her possessions were ranked fourth in the NBA this year, ranking 30th, like Danny said. What's wrong with their defense? Is it really just a matter of the personnel is just bad, Danny? Yeah, I had made a joke about this on uh, the worst picks for the NBA Palooza thing. The Spurs basically don't have a single above average defender. Yeah, who's their best defender on the roster? And like, you're honestly. looking at it and you're like... It might be Dante Cunningham. It might be earlier. Or maybe it's yeah. Jakob Pertl, but he's barely playing. No, he's barely getting any minutes. He he was a DNP uh, coach's decision the Lakers, in, the, yeah. in the Lakers. Yep. I, I was thinking about like talking to him after the game, and I was like, "Wait, didn't, he didn't even play?" You know? Right. I, just, I mean, it, like, it didn't really occur during the game. It's like the Ike Pertle didn't play, which is so well, funny I mean, because like Lamarcus is a five, so why, where's he going to play? Yeah, especially in that game with the right. Lakers playing small with Kuzma at the five often or LeBron at the five, which Kuzma at the five has not worked very well for the Lakers so no. far this season. No. They're giving up a lot of points this year. I, I think the the stat pulled up earlier something around maybe 130 points per 100 possessions with Kuzma oh, at the five. God. It's horrible, and that's kind of why the whole Jonathan Williams revelation was so eye-opening. You know, it, it was he had his coming out party against the Spurs, and that just kind of shows you how important it is to have a mobile guy who can just protect a body, the rim. You know? Just a just yeah, a body, yeah. Just, like, when you have Kuzma and LeBron who are, you know, ostensibly, oh, they can be small ball fives for the Lakers, sure. But they have so much responsibilities on the offensive end. Like, you really can't trust them to anchor your defense. Charks, for the listeners who have no idea who Jonathan Williams is, can you give a, a brief little rundown about his yeah, game? Yeah, he's, so he's like a 6'9", pretty athletic big man. He uh, played at Gonzaga. He was a fifth-year senior, so he's pretty old. I think he's like 20, 24 years old. He can't really shoot, but he's very athletic. He plays hard. He runs to the rim. I mean, he's not like the most skilled guy in the world, but he can play his position. He's an older player. I could see him playing a lot this season, honestly. Right. One of the things I am excited about with the Spurs this year, um, despite everything, despite DeJounte Murray going out, despite Derek White going out, that has meant that DeMar DeRozan is going to get more playmaking opportunities. 14 assists. That's crazy. 14 assists in that Lakers game. DeMar is somebody who last year with Toronto, with their evolved offense under Dwayne Casey, uh, started to handle the ball more. He got more playmaking chances and did pretty solid. I think he did a good job. And I'm excited to see how... He evolves this year with San Antonio within their system. If he can elevate his play even more, maybe it helps them long term for DeRozan to get these chances because he might be, you know, in his late twenties, but he's not done getting better necessarily. Right, and I mean, he's really added to his game a lot over his career. It's kind of impressive. You know, the narrative last year was, oh, he added a three point shot, and you know, narratives can mean a lot, especially you know, in in his perception around the league. What happened was he started taking these threes. Defenses started having to respect it. And all of the times when defenses were expecting him to do, you know, a mid-range pull-up or whatever, there was suddenly an opening. There was suddenly a, a passing lane for him to connect with, you know, a guy like Pascal Siakam or Jakob Pertl. So you put him in these in these new situations, and suddenly you're looking at a completely different playmaker. And I'm curious, what do you guys think, um, Charks? What do you think about these Lakers minus Rajon Rondo and Brennan Ingram? Me, personally, like I'm enjoying watching the team because we're getting opportunities to see these new guys. Steve McKay-Luke getting playing time. Jonathan Williams like getting that. playing time. Josh Hart back in the starting lineup in la- and Wednesday night's game against the Phoenix Suns, Lakers' first win of the season over Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Lonzo Ball in the starting lineup. I think for the Lakers, these long-term changes could actually be good. Um, that the suspension for Rajon Rondo and Brandon Ingram could actually open the door for maybe positive changes to their overall roster charts. For sure. I think like them losing early, they have to ask themselves quickly who are they going to be. 
You got to play your best players. And to me, you got to go LeBron and the young guys. Like the meme team, it's not going to work. The meme we're team. Done with it. Yes. We're done with it already. One weekend, it's over. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we can have Lance Stevenson kind of crush on, you know, these <laughs> terrible teams. Sure. He's basically eating innings at that point. But like for these consequential games, they need to trust their young guys because their young guys have the most talent. Speaking about trusting young guys, the Utah Jazz faced the Pelicans this weekend. Donovan Mitchell had a actually most impressive night of the season for him. Yeah, 38 points on 25 shots, 7 assists to 3 turnovers, and a Utah 100-89 win over the Rockets on Wednesday night. Mitchell seemed to figure it out. Uh, He said after the game that he was a little bit tense in the first couple games. He was in his own head. Yeah, in his own head, and, and now he's calmed down. He's chilled out. Did he figure it out, Danny? It was a lot of... You know, he finally hit the shots that we were accustomed to seeing him hit those last t- year. Those tough, tough attempts. Yeah, yeah there were a lot of tough out. attempts early this season that didn't go in. And, you know, it, it was a lot of the, pro- the, the product of the Jazz kind of figuring out who they are in this season because they're really pushing the pace. And, you know, it's really helped Joe Ingles, who has become basically their best player. <laughs> the great Joe Ingles. Um, who also looks like an NBA player. But yeah. So, sorry, Chris Vernon. <laughs> what I'm interested in uh, in this game is just how Gobert continues to handle this type of game, handle this type of pace. Especially against Anthony Davis, who probably the best player in the NBA so far this season. Yeah, I mean, he's playing in all the space with, with Mirich at the four. It'll be tough for Gobert. Gobert in favors. It'll be hard for them to match up with those guys. I just don't think we have enough of a sample with the Jazz, they've played kind of both ways. So they've had two games in which they've played at above average pace, and they've had two games where it was just like really slow in the 95 possession games. They split both of them. So they're two and two. slow now, isn't it? Right? <laughs> right? So I, I just think that the one thing that the Jazz can't do really is stick with this Gobert favors front line for much longer. Favors is probably the guy that takes a backseat than Sharks. Well, for but, sure. Yeah. For sure. But they got to find a four, though. I guess it's Jay Crowder. How soon until the conversation really gets started? Is Anthony Davis the best player in the NBA? Let's start it. I think yeah, he's we can awesome. have this discussion right now. Is he? He's up there. Right now, I don't at know this if he's moment. the best. Right now? At this moment. Like, you need longevity. You need to do it over a period of time. Blah, 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 blah. But right now, at this moment, is he the best player in the league? Uh, I'm a hedge and say no. Playing in this space, he could be as impactful. Maybe the most impactful player. Yeah. I'll say it. Who's better, Danny? I'm I'm a ride with my my guy KD, but uh, I I don't feel I don't feel great about either answer. I, th- I think it's but Anthony Davis. AD is the most valuable. I think. Yeah, I think AD AD is the best player in the league right now. LeBron's like not going full speed at the moment. Right. Uh, AD's not. I mean, uh, look at his numbers, dude. Thirty points on fifty nine percent shooting. Are you kidding me? Thirteen boards, thirteen five rebounds, assists, three, three blocks. blocks, two steals, and like you know, it's even insane. even if, even if you just like throw the numbers away and like just turn on like the TV, <laughs> like, yeah. if, if you like if you don't know anything about the league, like you woke up from a coma of twenty years and you're finding out about basketball for the first time, and you don't know about basketball reference because you don't know that the internet is all this cool stuff now, <laughs> and you turn on your TV, you're you're seeing AD, this guy who's six foot ten, big, strong, shooting threes passing the ball, moving around on the perimeter to inside, blocking shots from the weak side, rebounding, running pick and roll, posting up. You're like, this dude does everything because he does do everything. Doing caster motor oil ads. You know, he does it all. He does it all. And I I think too, like if I'm I'm New Orleans and I get in a playoff series, anybody at the Warriors, I'm like, I got Anthony Davis. None of the other teams in the West can guard him, right? Giant Golden State. So I'm feeling pretty confident going to the playoffs with Anthony Davis on my team. 
you know, you mentioned the three blocks per game Sharks, you know, also has two steals per game. That's outstanding, right? But like, there's so few guys, like we're talking about Gobert, right? Run him off the floor, you know, have him all on the perimeter. That's not a question with AD. Mm-hmm. Just AD's not. guy who runs Gobert off the floor. He's yeah. the other way. He's, yeah, he's the one who's <laughs> running Gobert off the Is that, floor. Yeah, he, do, he does, but like he can't get run on the, off the floor. No, absolutely no, not. No matter who he's defending, whether it's a smaller guy on a switch or a big guy who can stretch the floor, AD can defend anybody in the league. And here's the other thing too, like anybody, anybody defend him? Like who can really defend no. Anthony Davis? Nobody. Nobody, right. especially with all the spacing now that you mentioned. I Charles. mean, his own body can. Like, it re- really, we're only looking that's at injuries. It. That's literally it. That's that's the only thing with AD, and he's been pretty healthy the past two seasons for the most part. Yeah, he has been. He got a little bigger, got a little stronger, filled out. That's becoming a little bit less of a concern, but like, still, it's in the back of the my mind too, Danny. Yeah. Overall, though, that Pelicans roster, and I'm excited to see it uh, uh, this weekend. The way they spaced the floor for AD, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise that DeMarcus Cousins got hurt. It allowed their team to play the way that they're playing now at a faster pace with more speed, more shooting. It's exciting to watch, and yet they still retain that versatility to play with two jumbo bigs if they want. And and KOC, too. Like He's only 25. The other big guys in the league are all older than him. Like He's just starting his prime right now. This is just getting going. I mean, he's getting better and better every single year. One team that's also getting better this year, the Detroit Pistons under Dwayne Casey. They're off to a great start with Blake Griffin. They face the Celtics this weekend, who are off to a very slow start on the offensive end of the floor. They still lead the league in defensive rating, but their offense has sputtered um, this year. Charks, you and I have both written about this. I wrote it was one of the first articles I wrote for the Ringer when I got hired in 2016. It was like I want to see Point Blake. You you've talked about that and written about yeah. that before as well. And I feel like we're kind of starting to see that, aren't we, with this Pistons team? I mean, they, it's better point blank than point Reggie, I think. So yeah, like who's really stopping going. him, really? Nobody. Nobody should stop him. Blake is one of the better passing big men of the century. One of the better ball handling big men of the century right. as well. So it's nice to see him getting those opportunities this year, averaging 5.7 assists. That's not out of the ordinary, but he's getting more ball handling chances, more pick and roll chances. He's just being used like a star player for See, here's like the, thing, a guard. the thing I'm curious about is I guess Jalen Brown guards Blake Griffin I don't know I think Celtics probably go big in this game with Drummond and Blake in the front court maybe it's Baines if he's back which he might not be uh, I believe in tonight's game he, they, they said he's 50-50 to play so maybe he doesn't play this weekend against Detroit either but yeah you, you know what Charks like it could turn out where if the Celtics don't play big they end up going small and they force maybe Detroit to take Drummond off the floor. Maybe he's the guy you're pushing off the floor. You're making Detroit play small. Maybe you're having them go with Stanley Johnson at the four. But even then, I think Horford would still be end up being the guy who defends Blake. The guards Blake. Yeah. Interesting. So what's going on with the Celtics? Shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers, Danny. A lot of mid-range jumpers, especially early in the clock, I've noticed. Um, hmm. They've always been a team that isn't afraid of shooting mid-range jumpers. Right. But this year, they're taking the fourth most deep mid-range jumpers, according to cleaningglass.com. And that's coming early in the clock, too. Their three-point numbers are down as well, shooting only 31.2% from three so far this season. It's just odd. I'm not sure if it's chemistry or or what it is, but so far this season, there's just something off with this team. And the first thing that always comes to mind is, why are they shooting mid-range jumpers early in the clock? Whether it's Hayward running across screens, right. Tatum pull-ups, Kyrie pull-ups, just a lot of mid-range. Seems like a feeling out process. One thing that I've been monitoring with the Celtics is basically looking at their usage rate. Everyone's usage rate from last season, except for Jason Tatum's, has actually gone down. And so it's really just looking at how they all fit together and and how 
this team that we all thought was just this seamless kind of like amorphous blob of excellence <laughs> kind of comes together, um, you know, when they're trying to incorporate two stars who were very much high usage players in past life. How would they look, Kevin, you think? Gordon and Kyrie? Kyrie's been awful. Yeah, Kyrie, Kyrie put up pretty nice numbers against Orlando, but watching the game didn't feel like it. Right. Uh, I do think there's a feeling out process between the players, but also for the individuals, for Kyrie getting back into quote-unquote basketball shape, for Gordon Hayward figuring things out. It's interesting. It certainly is. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that we've seen Tatum featured so much early on. I don't want to say surprised as much as I didn't think it would come so soon. Right. Right? Uh, I, I thought there would be a little bit more force-feeding to Hayward and Kyrie than there actually has been. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about the Celtics. Like, I, w- I wouldn't panic one bit. I think their defense is still elite. Still good. Um, that's still yeah. going to... That's their foundation, and it, and it has been for years. Uh, I think the offense will figure itself out over oh, the wow, course of time. Oh, wow. There's too much in talent right on this now. team for it. Not that's crazy. To. 30th in offense, yeah, first in defense. Left. I wish we could see great combo. Game. You know yeah. that 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 really works in this in this modern NBA. Uh, I wish we could react to Thursday night's game against Oklahoma City. That'll be interesting to watch. And granted, it's an easy team to guard. Yeah. That's for sure. E- easy team to guard with with uh, no shooters in their roster. Um, well, I'm excited for these games this weekend. But that's all we have time for today, guys. That was fun. It was great, Danny. John, yeah. looking forward to next Friday. Thank you all. Absolutely, definitely. And thank you for listening to the Corner Three. Please give us a five star rating on iTunes and tell your friends and family about the show. That would make us so so happy. Special shout out to Bobby Wagner for producing the podcast, and to my good friend Elon for listening to the show. And thank you again for listening. On Monday, John Gonzalez will be back with a new episode of Heat Check, and I'll be joining Chris Vernon on Tuesday for the mismatch. Until then, hope you have a beautiful weekend. 